Good morning, happy new year, and happy new allergy season to all of you. Our uh, text today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, this will be verses 12 through 17, I believe we're on page 991 of the Blue Bibles that are there in the back. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to a service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to your word. Help us to not only hear, but also understand and believe, so that we may follow in faithfulness, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When I was a, a younger man, it seems like it was so long ago, uh, I was a newly promoted lieutenant in the Austin Fire Department. What often happened back then was that upon promotion to that of the rank of an officer, you would usually go to a staff position. It was a process that was dreaded by anybody who was promoting in the fire department because we wanted to stay in operations. We wanted to stay doing the job we signed up to do, fight fires, go on emergency calls, run around the city with our lights and sirens. But those of us who wanted to promote and wanted to be company officers, well, we had a good chance of going to a staff assignment. So I was promoted to lieutenant and I was sent to the training division. Now, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Going to the training division, you were still able to hone your skills as a firefighter. You're still able to be active. So it was thought of one of the better staff assignments. So I wasn't too excited, but at least I was thankful to be going to training. So I was replacing one of the lieutenants that had been down there for about two years. You know, that was a principle you'd promote, you'd go there for about two years, and then the next one would come in and replace you. I was going to replace a lieutenant named Chris. Chris had promoted to lieutenant, and he went down to the training division two years prior to me, and he did a spectacular job. He had found what was essentially a flaw in the strategy and tactics that we use to fight fires. It was a big deal. Our methods had a hidden danger that would one day injure or kill a firefighter. So when Chris was promoted to lieutenant, he took on this responsibility to change the established way the department handled its most basic bread and butter emergency incident, the house fire. Fire department was large, so it was very difficult. 
We'd been using these strategy and tactics for a good while, and all the chief officers, those who were in charge of the fire departments, came in using these tactics. So they needed a lot of convincing before they would change their minds. Chris only had two years to do this, and in this two-year time, it was too short to effectively maintain the push for this change. Chris was a smart man, a very smart man. He was smart, and he had experience, much more experience than what I had. Chris had been in the Austin Fire Department longer than I had. He had also worked in the Detroit Fire Department for a good number of years. So here I am, this newbie lieutenant with just seven years on the job, stepping in to fill these shoes of this smart and experienced fire officer. In a way, I was inheriting the burden of this responsibility that he had shouldered to change the course of the fire department. I felt inadequate and very much outclassed. I had to work extremely hard to fill the responsibilities that the job was asking, to try to live up to the calling that was at hand, to fill the shoes that was being left behind by Chris. Anyone here ever thought that you were inadequate? Ever thought that you were overwhelmed, not cut out for a certain task? Anyone here ever been disappointed with yourself for not living up to the standards to which you have been called. If so, I would not be surprised at all. There are many Christians, many pastors as well, who feel the need to live up to the standards of their calling, to work hard. As I was reading over our text today, I kept wondering how Timothy must have felt to have been given the reins of the church at Ephesus. I wonder how any one of us might feel when we're trying to live up to the standards of God and finding ourselves wanting. I would not be surprised if Timothy was a bit overwhelmed. If he thought to himself, I really don't know if I am up to this task. Paul, the Apostle Paul, started the church in Ephesus, and now Timothy has this charge to carry on in the church, to fill the role that Paul started. I can see Timothy perhaps pacing back and forth, wondering what to do, concerned about the church, trying to fill these big shoes of the Apostle Paul. So we see Paul in the opening of his letter encouraging Timothy, explaining some things about false teaching, and then in verse 12, Paul starts this prayer. He opens it with an expression of thankfulness to Jesus Christ. He's showing Timothy and all of us where to begin where to start with thankfulness in Jesus Christ. So today, let's talk about the things that Paul is thankful for in this prayer. Paul is thankful for grace. Paul is also thankful for a life of service to God, which is the result of an outpouring of faith and love. Saying that Paul is thankful for grace, this seems like something that is easy to look over to take for granted. Perhaps maybe we might gloss over this in our own lives. For Paul, this grace meant everything. Paul starts out in verse 12 by thanking him who has given him strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. Because he judged me faithful. This really is a simple statement. It is so simple that it is hard to explain. 
You mean just like that you are found to be faithful? There's no steps that you have to take? There's no standards that you have to meet? Just like that, Jesus calls you faithful. Yes. Romans 8 to 24 says that we are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And oh my, what a difference this seemingly simple gift makes on our lives. After all, what is Paul without grace? Well, we know what he is. We don't have to look very far to find out, just to verse 13. Paul says that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. When we first meet Paul in the Bible, we know him by another name. We know him as Saul. Now, Saul had many things going for him. We know that he was an educated man. Acts 22, verse 3 shows that Paul was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. And that he was accepted as one who was zealous by the Jewish community, his community. So Paul was also zealous for God. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee. And he was staunchly against Christianity. So vehemently opposed to Christ that he would, by his own admission, vigorously persecute those who followed Jesus. So, so zealous was Paul in those early years that if you knew him, you would think, this is a guy that I don't want to meet in a dark alley. This is Paul's reputation. Paul confesses this to Timothy in verse 13. He admits to being a violent man. Paul was a violent man. Acts chapter 8 begins with a recounting of Saul busting down the doors of families, dragging them off to be thrown into prison. While Paul possessed some good qualities that we might admire, good upbringing, good citizenship, education, and a zealousness for God, there was something missing something that was very sorely needed, the gift of grace. The second part of verse 13, as Paul giving us what seems like an excuse, he did all these things, all this violence out of ignorance and unbelief, which seems like a lame excuse. Imagine this man, Paul, this educated man, this pedigreed and upstanding member of his community admitting to his ignorance of God. In effect, he was saying that all that time he spent in education, all that time earlier in his life where he studied the law, where he studied scriptures, he still says that he was ignorant. He had missed something. He had a deep and fundamental flaw. Something was lacking. Something that makes all the difference in the world and one that none of us can learn, none of us can earn. It is something that must be a gift. It is grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus. So we know what Paul was without grace. What are we without the grace of God? What are we without Jesus? On our own, we may be educated, we may have wealth, we may have status, but without grace, we are enemies of God. Just like Paul was an enemy of God. Paul says that he did these things out of ignorance, ignorance of the grace of Christ. But it is important to point out that God does not convict us because of our ignorance. Ignorance does not make us enemies of God. 
We are convicted because of our sin, not because of our ignorance. All we truly have earned is our judgment as enemies of God. So why does Paul use this word, ignorance? It would seem that if he was ignorant, all he needed to do was to study and to learn. But Paul had learned. He had studied. Ignorance doesn't just mean a lack of knowledge. It also means one is incapable of knowing. It also means that there is a complete lack of ability to know. Saul, a man who persecuted Christians, was considered to be a man of God. He was well-versed in the Scriptures, well-educated in the Law of Moses. He could recite backwards and forwards the Ten Commandments. He really had all the information that he needed, and yet he still did not see. He had everything, but he didn't have grace. That was something he couldn't earn. It had to be given. It had to be a gift. And once he had this gift, his eyes were open, and he could see and say that despite all of this education, all of his status, he truly was ignorant. In our sin, Jesus can show us mercy. We receive grace as a gift. This ignorance that Paul is talking about isn't something that can be fixed with rigorous study. It isn't something that we can shoo away with a degree. It is only through the grace of God. This is why Paul is so thankful to Jesus. Having this grace of Christ allows us to be thankful to God as well. It is only then that Paul can see and contrast his life, that he understands the ignorance he once had. So it really isn't a lame excuse at all, because he was incapable of knowing any other way outside of Christ. When Christ came into his life, that's when Paul was able to see past his own self and his own desires. And so now, as he is writing to his friend Timothy, he can truly confess what he does in verse 15, that the saying is trustworthy that Christ did come into this world to save sinners of whom Paul counts himself as the foremost. So Paul is starting off with a very necessary point that we should remember and that we should also emulate, a thankfulness for the gift of grace, a thankfulness for something that is impossible to achieve through any means outside of Jesus Christ. If we go back to verse 12, where Paul begins this prayer, we see that Paul is grateful for the gift of grace. He's also grateful that Christ judged him faithful. Specifically, Paul gives thanks to Jesus for the strength and for the recruitment into service because he judged Paul faithful. Now, we are well aware that Paul is an apostle, that his ministry was incredible. The point of the text isn't for Paul to say, hey, look at me. The point can be found as we consider what Paul says in verse 16. If we look at verse 16, Paul says why he received this mercy from Christ. It is so that Christ's perfect patience can be displayed for all those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying he is the prototype for Christians everywhere. Not just then, but now as well. As I was talking with Pastor Tim about this selection of Scripture, Tim made the comment I think we might all overlook. Paul is thankful for all of it, the good and the bad in life. There's no hint of Paul lamenting over his experience. Paul's not saying to Timothy how hard it's been to follow Christ. We know that from Scripture, Paul has been beaten, jailed, shipwrecked, bitten by a venomous snake, 
had some illness which required people to care for him. And now, as he is writing a letter to Timothy, a letter of encouragement, he is likely on yet another missionary excursion. Paul counts himself as the example, as the prototype. Even though all the difficulty, he still gives thanks. Paul's life, his trials and tribulations are nothing compared to the gift he has received. The same gift we have received in Christ, that of grace. But he's not just thankful for grace and for his service to Christ, but for the grace that overflows in the abundant faith and love in Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Much like grace, faith is a gift from God. Is where we are able to believe in God, to take hold of grace that is offered. My favorite way of explaining faith, as found in the Westminster Confession, is that it is the ability to rest in the belief of Jesus Christ. Because this is a gift from God, it is something that is concrete. As Calvin would explain it, faith is certain and firm. And from faith, we strive to have knowledge, which is the opposite of ignorance. Faith leads us into a hunger that longs for God, that seeks to know more about God. And the way in which we learn about God is the Word of God, that which we read about, that which we sit and listen to on Sunday mornings. Faith seeks more of God. And as we see in Paul, God says yes. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is something that we can nurture and grow. We can be active participants in growing our faith. Just as Paul demonstrates in his knowledge of Scripture, his willingness to spread the gospel and his willingness to love. It is really no accident that Paul is using this language of being thankful for the grace that overflows with the faith and love found in Jesus Christ. Overflowing with faith is overflowing with the joy in seeking that which is Christ, of being more Christ-like. Faith is accepting and receiving and resting upon Christ. And love, well, love is the greatest of the fruits of the Spirit. In Colossians 3, verse 14, Paul says, For us to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And the foundation for this love is God. Paul's ministry has been truly exceptional. Think about all that Paul has done in this great adventure of his ministry. Paul doesn't point to himself, he points to Christ. He shows love of Christ. Yet another example for us. I have not once ever even remotely considered myself to be alongside Paul the Apostle, but I certainly look up to him. I certainly stare in awe at the way in which he writes about Jesus Christ, grace, and the Christian life. When he says he is the prototype, I think of the stories of Saul busting in doors, dragging and women and children away to a rotting jail. And then I think of the book of Romans, this deep and rich text that has been the basis of thousands and thousands of works of theology. I think of all of Paul's letters I think of 1 Corinthians 13, the widely known chapter of love 
And I am dumbstruck at how Saul, violent Saul, can wax so eloquent this chapter on love. That is truly an abundance of grace. It is faith and love in Christ that has made all the difference in Paul. Jesus Christ took this violence and angry man and brought him under his wing, nurtured him, loved him, forgave him. So how do we nurture our faith? How do we live up to this example of Paul? If I compare myself to the Apostle Paul, I feel even less adequate than when I promoted to lieutenant and had to replace Chris down at the training division. Who am I, really? Who are we to think that we can live up to this example of Paul? But yet Paul does give us the example. He is thankful for Jesus Christ but I still think of all the work that I have to do to be like Paul, to live up to this example. However, the difference between being evil, like Saul was, and being good, like Paul is in his ministry, is not a difference of degree. Herman Bavnik writes this, The moral good is not a purpose or ideal to be obtained through striving or exertion. It is a gift. A condition of being a state. It remains true forever that a tree has to be good if it is to bear good fruit. So the difference between what is evil and what is good is the difference in being. It is a gift of grace. From this grace, we can then love. In our reading today, we reference 1 John 4. So let's look again at what... 1 John 4, verses 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. When Paul tells us of the overflowing faith and love, he is pointing to the fruit of the Spirit, of which love is the greatest. So, In this time of year, we might make for ourselves New Year's resolutions. Perhaps we look back on our past year and we note some areas where we could improve ourselves. Perhaps we look at these past holidays, we note the numbers on the scale, we seek to improve our workout routine. Perhaps we look to our Christian life and find it to be wanting. So we make lists. There's a famous speech given by Admiral McRaven, who's the ninth commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command, and this speech was given to the graduating class of the University of Texas not long ago. In this speech, he said that if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. That being the one thing that you can check off on your list. Starting here, this simple task of making your bed will then lead you to a sense of accomplishment, which encourages you to complete another task, and so on and so forth. It was a good speech. However, great the idea it is to have a checklist to help us to work on ourselves, Paul reminds us of something that Admiral McRaven's speech doesn't. Paul reminds us of the truth, the glory in our striving, in our accomplishments, in what we know are good things to possess, holiness, righteousness, love, all the other fruits of the Spirit. Start first and foremost with a gift that of grace and faith that is found only in Jesus Christ. How do we nurture our faith? 
Start with the thankfulness that Paul displays in our text. A thankfulness that recognizes the best gift we can ever receive is that of grace and rest in the perfect patience of Christ. You want to bear good fruit? Recognize that you must be grafted to the one true vine, Jesus, and rest in knowing that you have received that gift from God. Rest and accept. Rest and know that Jesus is there constantly interceding on your behalf. That first thing on your checklist is the gift of grace and has already been marked off. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there is no checklist in the world that will lead us to the grace of Jesus Christ. It is a gift. Help us, Lord, to remember this gift all day and every day. Help us to look back on our life of ignorance and failure so we can rejoice that we are no longer counted as an enemy of Christ. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.